Please turn with me to your study outlines. And as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are watching online. We are so glad that you are joining us in our study here. And let me just say, what a launch we had to the new year last week. I mean, 2012 was one of the greatest years in the 143-year history of our church. But what a start we got. Wednesday night, the junior high and high school ministries just had a ton of kids and just an explosive start to the year and getting them all into small groups. And it was just fantastic. Then Thursday night, as flood launched at Claremont, at Purpose Church, at our new Claremont location, uh, they just had a phenomenal time. And then last night was just was just really something. Uh, oh, well over a thousand. Some say like about twelve hundred people worshiping Jesus in Arabic here in our worship center. And I was just so thrilled to see that. It was so exciting. And then being broadcast all across North America, across uh, Mexico, Australia, and uh, even most importantly, across the Middle East. Uh, from our worship center, this broadcast going, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ in worship and in, in preaching. And it was just a great, great time. They went, I left after, you know, I, it started at five. I left about seven o'clock or so. But I heard they went till eight. 30 or 9. So I don't want to hear any complaints about the length of my sermons anymore, okay? Uh, it just went on and on and on, but I heard it was just the end was as great as uh, uh, the beginning. And so really praise God for how he is using you as a church, fulfilling his purpose through you uh, as he fulfills it in each of our lives individually as a church uh, he fulfills his purpose in our community and in the world. So we've been introducing our new mission statement, finding purpose in Christ, in community, for the journey. And we talked about last Sunday how everything changes when you have a sense of purpose. We move beyond being as the world would present to us, a random group of cells experiencing random chance to having meaning, significance, and purpose within our lives, knowing where we fit in God's master plan for human history and for the universe. Uh, yesterday, uh, my daughter Leah and her boyfriend Aaron and I uh, spent the whole day at a faith and science conference at Azusa Pacific. And this was a phenomenal conference. Just, I, I've got to mention it to you next year when it comes around again, because those of you in the science fields would just love this conference. And we had such a great time. And of course, the best speaker was a professor from Wheaton College. Every, uh, that's just, uh, you know, you can just figure out, for those of you that are visiting, that's my alma mater. And, and he had the, a, a great point. He said, the, it's like the difference between a house and a home. The realm of science is the house. How is the house built? How does the house fit together? Uh, what are the parts of the house? But that doesn't make it a home. Only in Christ do we make it a home. Only by faith do we make it a home. So science realm is the house, but then within the house, we build a home with a higher purpose in Christ, in community, and for the journey. And one of the best parts of this is that we all have a significant role in that. We all have an important place and part to play in that. Uh, just because you may not feel like yours is a significant doesn't make that the case. In some ways, the people that are most invisible behind the scenes that in some ways feel that their role is the least significant, they become the most significant. Uh, the movie that's been out recently is The Hobbit, and people tend to think that's a young adult thing. But actually, the book The Hobbit was written in the 1920s by J.R. Tolkien, a committed Christian. And there are many, many Christian themes within this. And one of my favorites is the whole idea 
that those that are the weakest, the least powerful in the eyes of the world, similar to what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, those are the ones that are most important in God's master plan. If you read the book, you see that hobbits, who are not great warriors, they're, they're these little people that nobody notices, and they're not great warriors, they're not very powerful, they're not very strong, and yet they end up being the most significant part in the master plan of what God was doing and how, as he writes about Middle Earth. And that is a great Christian theme, that even though you may feel that you're a hobbit, God's role for you may even be more important than those that are the most visible. And so the last chapter of the book goes like this. Then the prophecies of the old songs have turned out to be true after a fashion, said Bilbo. He's the hobbit. Of course, said Gandalf. He's what we call in literature a Christ figure. He's a picture of Jesus in the book. And why should not they prove true? Surely you don't disbelieve the prophecies because you had a hand in bringing them about yourself. You don't really suppose, do you, that all of your adventures and escapes were managed by mere luck just for your sole benefit? You are a very fine person, Mr. Baggins, and I'm very fond of you, but you are only quite a little fellow in a wide world after all. Thank goodness, said Bilbo, laughing. You may feel, like I do many times, that I'm just a little fellow in a wide world. And yet, the calling that God has on your life, the purpose, you never know how a word, an invitation, a sharing, a prayer, an act of worship, an act of obedience, you never know what great things God is gonna do through that. And along with that, there is great blessing and having a purpose in life. Lynn Van Horn uh, emailed me this past week. She writes, the Catalyst class were referring to your sermon this morning. They were discussing the importance of setting the right priorities and practical ways to accomplish this. So being disciplined is a cross-generational experience. I'm looking into the certification process to become a personal trainer and have been reading up on the subject of aging. One author said there are four things people need to do to grow old well. And my ears perked up upon reading that. Four things you need to do to age well, to grow old well. Number one, exercise. Uh, number two, have an active social life. Number three, I don't like this one, eat more plants than animals. I prefer animals to plants myself personally. But then number four is to have a purpose. You age well at any age when you have a sense of purpose. And that's what we find in Christ, in community as a group of believers for the journey. She writes, since you're talking about purpose, thought you might find this interesting. Don't you love it when God's word and the marketplace line up together? And yes, I do. Um, as you look there at your study outline, you'll see that, that purpose is a major theme in scripture. As I've kind of saturated myself in, in looking at purpose throughout the Bible the last couple of weeks, I've been just amazed at what a major theme this is within God's word. I never knew what a major theme it was, depending on the translation of the Bible you use. In the NLT, the New Living Translation, it's mentioned either the word purpose or a derivative of that word is mentioned 57 times. In the NIV translation, it's mentioned 58 times. In the old King James Version, it's mentioned 62 times. In the New American Standard Bible, which is often seen as the most literal translation of the Bible, it is used 80 times. This is a prevalent theme throughout God's Word. So what I've done in your study outline is lifted out 27 passages uh, that I just particularly enjoyed, but there are so many other good ones that I did not include in this, but 27 passages. Now, before we get into them, 
I want us to look at two passages that do not use the word purpose, but they have important, purpose, uh, important points about the concept of biblical purpose. And Esau is a perfect picture of what the world offers us. Random cells experiencing random chance. It's all about living in the moment. If I'm hungry, it's all about the food. If I desire something sexually, it's all about the sex. If I, if I want something materially, it's all about the material. If I'm angry at somebody in the moment, it's all about that. It's just living in the moment because after all, I'm just a bunch of random cells experiencing random chance. But Jacob, on the other hand, took seriously the birthright, the blessing of the firstborn. He saw it as a means of eternal consequence. And that's what God calls us to move beyond being an Esau to being a Jacob to seeing eternal consequence and purpose in everything that we do. Now, the other one is in Genesis 37, very random passage. But many people emailed me or spoke to me after the message last Sunday. And a common theme was this whole idea of, I just don't feel like I'm very important. I just feel, don't feel like I have much of a purpose in life. And Rita de los Reyes, uh, who goes to the 11-11 service, she shared with me an excellent biblical insight after the service. Um, she, she used this passage right here to say, okay, Joseph is the well-known person in that story there in Genesis 37. And he's the famous one. I mean, even if you don't very familiar with the Bible, you know Joseph. I mean, they did a Broadway play after him. Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. I mean, everybody seems to know Joseph. You name your children, your sons after Joseph. But here in this story, he's going to find his brothers, and there's this random man working in the field who sees him wandering around and says, what are you looking for? He says, I'm looking for my brothers. He said, they went that away. And that's the last we see of him. He's never named. He's simply called a man and later on the man. And yet he is absolutely essential to God's master plan. As you will see, because he goes with his brothers, he gets sold to slavery, rises to number two in Egypt, and he saves, God uses him to save the line of Abraham on its way to Jesus Christ. And nobody knows about this guy. Don't even know his name. Joseph is the visible one that's above the radar that everybody sees. But he's simply a random guy that went out on an ordinary day, did his work in the field. Somebody wandered by. They said, have you seen my brothers? He said, they went that away. And he goes back to his job. And lo and behold, the guy gets to heaven and finds out he saved the line of Christ. And that's what's going to happen to you. You're going to just be going through an ordinary day. And, and, and something's going to happen that's very mundane, but you're going to do it out of obedience to Christ because you feel that you have a greater purpose in everything you say, think, and do, and you're going to get to heaven and find out that there was eternal consequence uh, behind that. Okay, let's just do a quick overview of some of these verses. You can read them more carefully on your own in your quiet time this week. Exodus 9, verse 16. But I've raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Uh, David said in Psalm 17, I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress. God has a purpose for our mouths, that they be encouraging, that they be clean that they not be profane, that they not take God's name loosely, that they not have coarse language, that they not be critical, that they not discourage other people, but encourage other people. Great verse, Psalm 57, verse 2. Let's make this part of our prayer. I cry out to God. I cry out to God for a lot of things. 
But here's a really great thing to cry out to God for. I cry out to God, the Most High, to God who will fulfill his purpose in me. What a great prayer. Oh, God, fulfill your purpose in and through me. That's one of the best prayers a Christian can pray. Proverbs 19, 21, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. I have many schemes. I think of more ideas in the shower every day that I could possibly accomplish during the day. Uh, when I'm out on my run or out on my walk, I just always ideas pop it into my mind. Many are the plans in a person's heart. And remember we said last Sunday that the enemy of God's best is the good. Now it's always the bad. Avoid the bad, but also you've got to say no to the good to save time in your schedule and in your resources uh, and in your energy for that which is God's ultimate purpose for you. So many are the plans in a person's heart, but we've got to figure out what the Lord's purpose is that will prevail for eternity. Proverbs 20, every purpose is established by counsel. Now, this is how we figure out God's purpose. We do it together as a community of believers. There's this whole new thing about individual spirituality where people on their own can just kind of be a spiritual person. Or even Christians are buying into this where they think they can be lone ranger Christians. Oh, I'm into Jesus, but just not the church. Well, unfortunately, it is in the context of the local church that we understand and fulfill God's purpose for our lives. Now, I know that's hard because Jesus is great, but his followers, his fellow followers, are grating on our nerves, aren't they? He's great, they're grating. It's hard to be together in community for the journey. And yet that's how we discover our purpose in Christ. It's in community with each other for the journey. That's why unashamedly, uh, we don't talk about it all that much. Actually, I don't push it that much. But unashamedly, I will talk about membership. Uh, you know, so many people are averse to that in Southern California. But I tell you, I believe in the local church for all of its warts and scars and failures and weaknesses. It's still the best thing God's got going in the world today for 2,000 years is the local church. And so to make a commitment to a local church is a wonderful thing. Uh, to say, I'm not just going to find my purpose in Christ, but I'm going to do it with a committed group of a community, and I'm going to do it along uh, the journey. I love, th th this summarizes what so many people said they feel, uh, felt after last Sunday. Here's what people feel. Isaiah 49, verse 4. I replied, but my work seems so useless. I've spent my strength for nothing and to no purpose. Do you ever feel like that? Does my life really mean anything? Does it count? And yet when we find our purpose in Christ, it does count. Yet I leave it all in the Lord's hand. I will trust God for my reward. When you say, God, fulfill your purpose through me, and you spend your life searching for that purpose, you can leave it in God's hands. And lo and behold, you're going to get a reward you never imagined. Jeremiah 32 says one of his parts of his purpose is to worship him forever. When you were just worshiping a few minutes ago, you were fulfilling God's purpose for you. John 1.43, the next day, Jesus, he purposed to go into Galilee, and he found Philip, and Jesus said to him, follow me. That's part of our purpose, our oikos, the Greek word for household, the 8 to 15 in our sphere of influence. Part of your purpose is to go to heaven and to take your oikos with you, and to search for that oikos, and to encourage your oikos to follow Jesus. It says that Jesus purposed to go into Galilee. And there he found, on a search and rescue mission, Philip, and Jesus said to him, come and follow me. 
And that's part of his purpose for us with our oikos, to go to heaven and to encourage our oikos to come follow me to heaven as well. Follow Jesus to heaven. Uh, Acts 13, verse 36 is a great verse for your tombstone. I know you woke up this morning saying, boy, I hope I get a good tombstone verse uh, out of uh, church today. Now, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. You are here at this time and at this place, not by accident, but for a reason. Uh, There's a reason you weren't born 20 years earlier than you were or 20 years later than you were. Or for that matter, a day earlier than you were, a day later than you were. You were born for this generation. You are called at this geographical location, wherever you work, wherever you live, you're called there for this generation. And your assignment, like David, is to serve God's purpose in your own generation, then fall asleep, if Jesus doesn't come back first, and go to heaven. That's, uh, we serve his purpose in our generation, then we fall asleep. Acts twenty twenty seven. Paul writes, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Uh, what God's called us to is to share the whole purpose of God with our oikos so that they can have God's purpose for their lives as well. Romans eight twenty eight. the great comfort that even the hard things in life, even the things that disappoint us, whatever you're going through right now in your life, what's the hardest thing you're going through right now? What's the most disappointing thing you're going through? When in Christ, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Even the hard things in life, if you turn them over to God, he orchestrates them for his purpose. Next page of your study outline. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church, rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. My friend, Tom Mercer, pastor of the High Desert Church up in Victorville, loves to say that he's seen God use every kind of church. He's seen him use old churches that have been around for a long time, like ours, 143 years old. He's seen God use church plants. He's seen God use older congregations and younger congregations, uh, liturgical congregations and um, uh, charismatic congregations, uh, traditional churches, and uh, contemporary churches. Seeing seen God use all kinds of churches. The only kind of church he's never seen God use is a disunified church. It's the only kind of church God won't use is a disunified church. I don't mean in the little bumps and bruises we have on a regular basis because we're human, but I'm talking about major divisions. He said, let there be no major divisions in the church. Rather be of one mind, united and thought and purpose. You know, one of the reasons I love pastoring PFB, and the reason it's been pumping strong for 143 years, you know, there are very few churches that are still thriving 143 years after they started. The natural course of spiritual things is to fade over time and to lose their fervor. But there's a reason why we're still pumping after 143 years is because we've had, we've been unified around one purpose, which is to reach people for Jesus Christ. And, you know, whenever people go through changes, whenever our church is asked to make a sacrifice, you know, I was saying this to the 830 service because as the traditional uh, group within our church family, they've probably made the most sacrifices. They've probably seen the most changes. And I tell them, and I'll tell you that, uh, you know, whenever, whenever I say we're going to do such and such, and they're like, oh, man, here we go again. Oh, man, are you kidding me? Are we doing this again? And the thing is, it, but then as soon as I say, but if we do this, we'll reach 
more people for Jesus. They're like, ah, you got me. You got me there. Uh, it's like, uh, you know, you had me at hello. As soon as I appeal to the higher purpose, we, we go through changes. I mean, for the first time in 143 years, I stopped wearing a coat and tie at the traditional service. Not me. I haven't been around for that long. But, I mean, for 143 years, um, you know, the pastor at the most traditional service of our church, of PFB, has, I'm sure has worn a coat and tie. And, and I, but I told him, you know what, we need to do it this way because now we're using that, the 830 service, as the one that goes to Purpose Church Montana and, and Purpose Church Claremont. And, and we're going to, as we multiply venues, that will be the service that we use. But you know what, we're going to do it. And uh, we'll do it because it's going to reach more people for Jesus. Oh, man, now you got me. Now you got me. And, and, and I, I've told pastor friends that I did that move. And they said, oh, you must have gotten big pushback. I go, no, not at all. Hardly got any pushback at all. Very minuscule. They said, how in the world? Say, because for 143 years, Pomona First Baptist has been unified in thought and purpose about one thing, and that's reaching people for Christ. And we submit every change to that ultimate purpose. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, some of us plant Some of us water, some of us harvest, but it's all one purpose. We are co-workers in God's service. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, skipping down to verse 26, so I run with purpose in every step. Um, We'll pop this picture up here on Claremont at the 5K that they had at Claremont on Thanksgiving Day in the morning. This is the group of people from our church that all had the t-shirts running with purpose uh, you'll notice the little girl with the uh, bunny shoes there and the, uh, the stroller. The bottom right, that's my granddaughter. Just wanted to point that out. Um, and, and I made the mistake. My son, Andrew, pushed her in the stroller the entire 5K. And I thought, well, I can keep up with him if he's pushing a stroller. And I injured my leg for like a month trying to keep up with my son because he beat me big time pushing a stroller. And so I uh, was humbled by that event. And the key to life is discovering that thing he made you for and to do that and thus feel his pleasure. And so in the workplace, you know, if you're a nurse, when I uh, care for a patient, I feel his pleasure. If you're a teacher, when I teach third graders, I feel his pleasure. Uh, If you're an architect, when I design a building, I feel his pleasure. Uh, If you drive truck, when I drive truck, I feel his pleasure. If you're a young parent, when I change a diaper, I feel his pleasure. If you're a parent with younger children, when I drive my child to soccer practice, I feel his pleasure. Uh, Serving in the church, when I serve in the homeless ministry, I feel his pleasure. When I serve in the food or clothing ministry, I feel his pleasure. When I do parking lot patrol, I feel his pleasure. It's discovering that thing for which he made you and running with purpose in every step. Just before we begin to wrap things up... uh, I'm always uh, com- got complaints because I do so many running illustrations and football, basketball, and um, basketball and baseball illustrations. And so the hockey uh, union and the soccer union complain that I don't do that as much. So I, I want to throw a bone to the, the hockey uh, fans, uh, especially in celebration of the NHL strike being over. I love this cartoon. Let's pop that up there. Uh, he's scoring a touchdown. This touchdown's for you, Jesus, but it's all for naught. Because Jesus is watching hockey in heaven. So uh, there you go. That's just, um, that's just one for you hockey fans. Second Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, our mouth, David said, 
has a God's purpose and also our money, Paul says here. God has a purpose for our possessions, for our finances. Ephesians chapter 2, reconciliation between dissimilar people is part of his purpose. Here it's uh, Gentiles and, and Jews. Uh, but it, 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 any diversity, the more diversity is overcome through Christ, it fulfills his purpose. As I've said before, we are now a church of about 6,000 and 10 different worship services in four different locations in three different states and three different languages. And usually it's just once a month with Myanmar, uh, the Burmese language. But last night we replaced Myanmar with uh, uh, Burmese language. We replaced it with Arabic, okay? And a picture of heaven. Our campus has been a picture of heaven this weekend with worship and Arabic last night and next service in Spanish over in the B building and in English here and with multiple age groups and male and female and and multiple worship styles and music styles and people from different socioeconomic. um, We have great socioeconomic diversity within our church family, great geographical um, you know, variation, people from Barstow and, and from Hollywood and up from Anaheim, and, 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 and that's all honoring to him. We have great age diversity. As I've said before, demographically, we are extremely balanced. About a third of our church is under baby boomer age, and about a third baby boomer is a third older than baby boomer. It means there's about the same number of people of our church under our young adult pastor, Pastor Brian, and our adult ministries pastor, Pastor Greg, and our senior adult pastor, Pastor Randy. There's about equal number under each one because we have great age balance within our church and race and ethnic and language diversity. Now, one of the most challenging is we also have political diversity. How many find that one the most challenging of, of, of all? Uh, but, but, you know, I, I thought about this, and we certainly want to be very firm on the issues of our time. Uh, clearly pro-life with regard to the abortion issue, and, and clearly against human trafficking. I mean, the list goes on of the issues of our day that we want to be very firm on. But you know what happens when we have diversi- diversity politically? It doubles our mission field. It keeps it from being 50% of our community and makes it 100% of our community. Those churches that too closely identify themselves with one political persuasion or another cut their mission field in half. I was doing calculations the other day. Almost everybody in, in my Oikos group, I, I, um, I said everybody at 8.30, but Kimberly was at the 8.30 service, and she reminded me of a couple that maybe aren't in that category. But almost everybody in my Oikos that I'm trying to reach for Christ is of a directly opposite political persuasion from me. Everybody. Uh, Almost everybody I'm trying to reach for Christ in my oikos is a different political persuasion for me. And so that's kind of the most challenging one of all. And yet the more, I mean, I tell you, if Paul were writing this today, he would not say uh, Christ came to break down the dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles. He would say between Democrats and Republicans, as I think is is what he would say. And so when we see those people coming together that are dissimilar, uh, that fulfills his purpose. He says in Philippians chapter 1, one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news, in Christ, in community, for the journey. In Colossians chapter 4, about 30 years ago when I first started preaching, one of my first messages was similar to the one we talked about with the unnamed man in Genesis 37. And it was a message on Tychicus, Epaphras, and Epaphroditus. 
and how everybody knows the name Paul. I mean, even if you're not familiar with the Bible, people name, know Paul. They name their children Paul. They name their sons Paul. Nobody names their kids Tychicus, Epaphras, or Epaphroditus. And yet when you study their stories, they are absolutely essential to the launch of Christianity and the cause of Christ. So whether you're a Paul or a Joseph or a Tychicus, Epaphras, or Epaphroditus, or you're not even named, it still is all part of God's plan for history and for the universe. You have an essential purpose. He says, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is my dear brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. That's what our goal is. Whether we're above the radar like Paul and Joseph, if we're somewhere in between like Tychicus, Epaphras, or Epaphroditus, or whether we're unnamed, the goal is to be a dear brother and sister, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant. I am sending him to you for the express purpose. Uh, Not just a purpose. He got an express purpose. That you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, our purpose is to please God, not people. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, for God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. He has called on us to live pure and holy lives. 1 Timothy chapter 2, he wants everybody to be saved. And so in verse 7 it says, and for this purpose I was appointed a herald. You have been appointed a herald to your oikos. And the thing I love about the oikos principle is that everybody's got one, and it's all equal. I mean, your oikos is no less important than Billy Graham's oikos or Greg Laurie's oikos. Uh, Everybody's got an oikos, an 8 to 15. And the predominant way that Christianity has has spread like wildfire for the last 2,000 years into every ethnic group and every nationality around the world, the most widespread, largest movement, today the fastest-growing movement, in in world history and continuing today, um, it's all happened with people reaching their oikos. One percent have come to Christ through evangelistic crusades or Christian television or Christian radio. But 99 percent have come to Christ simply reaching your oikos, being a herald to your oikos, has been the predominant way that Christ has built his church for the last two millennia. 1 Timothy 4, 7, discipline yourselves for the purpose of godliness. 2 Timothy 2, in a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Now, part of that involves saying no to the good, the common use, so you've got more energy, time, and resources to devote to the best, which is special purposes. But part of this is cleansing yourself from ungodly living. You know what the main motivator to fight sin should be? Not to earn our salvation, because we can't. That shouldn't be any motivation, because only Christ can do that by his death on the cross. You know what the main motivator ought to be to cleanse ourselves from sin? is because it makes us more available to God for special purposes. It's like gunk in the hose, the water hose. And the more we clean out the gunk, the more the water flows. And the further it goes and the stronger the stream. And that's our motivator to cleanse ourselves, to sin. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness so that we don't have to settle for common purposes, but we have special purposes. Doesn't mean they're going to be well known, this side of heaven. But we'll get to heaven 
and find out the guy we ran into the, in the field that you said, go that away, and they went, fulfilled a special purpose in human history and in eternal history. And then 1 Peter chapter 3 we want to end with. And there's a little P.S. on the message from last Sunday. Um, remember, and I've used this illustration so many times recently, forgive me, but remember I did the illustration last week again of the researchers that had the six-year-old, they had the marshmallow in front of them, and they said, if you can wait till I come back, you get a second marshmallow. And they divided the kids up into those that couldn't wait, just had to have the one marshmallow right away, and those that were able to wait for the researcher to come back to get the second marshmallow. And in every area of life, those that could wait for the second marshmallow were more successful than those that couldn't wait and had to have the one marshmallow. And then I said, well, it's different depending on your age. And I said, you know, for those in zero to 10, maybe it's marshmallows. But for those 10 to 30, those young adults, it's sex. It's not marshmallows, it's Marsha or Mel, you know, or O. You know, that's what I said last Sunday. And, and then I thought to myself during the week, I thought, you know what? I left out the other generations. So, so I came up with an M for each generation of our church, and I'm so proud. I mean, nothing makes a pastor happier than when all the points have the same letter. I mean, I, I, I always say, you know, when I alliterate, I feel his pleasure. That's what happens for a pastor. And so at, at any rate, here we go. Uh, the first decade of life, zero to 10, it's marshmallows. Uh, uh, 20s and 30s, it's Marsha or Mel. 40s and 50s, um, it's materialism, I think. Now, of course, these go across all, you know, all over the place. I mean, at the 830 service, I made the mistake of saying, you know, some of you here, you may be older, but you still want a marshmallow. And they took it sexually, and they all start laughing like, I like myself. Um, and, uh, and it was one of those weird things where like half of them laugh hard and I'm like, what was that about? And Kimberly, fortunately, Kimberly was here at 830 cause she's doing nursery at 945. And, and, uh, and so she was able to tell me, well, they thought you meant sex. I'm like, oh my goodness, those dirty old people at the 830 service. And I had no idea. So first decade, marshmallows, second and third d- d- decades, Marsha or Mel, Fourth and fifth decades, 40s and 50s, it's toys. You know, I find your 40s and 50s, you're beginning to get sometimes a little bit more discretionary income, and so the temptation is materialism, toys. And then for those in the sixth decade, 60 on, I put mad. And what I mean by that is, the older I get, I'm 56, so, but, but I can feel it coming on. Just stuff ticks me off more than it used to. <laughs> Now, now, sometimes this is of a righteous nature. I mean, I mean, you know, it's something here on the news. Oh, man, I just this week. I, and, but I can't control it sometimes. I'm just mad for a day or two rather than a moment or two. And just this whole, let me give you an example. You know, like, and some of it's good, madness or anger. Okay, like this whole um, Louis Giglio being asked to do the benediction for the inauguration and then having to withdraw. Let me just tell you, as a fellow pastor, Louis Giglio is one of the finest pastors in America. Is a marvelous pastor, um, just tremendously used by God. And he was asked to do the benediction for the inauguration because he has, does tremendous work against human trafficking and just has done a great job on that. But somebody found something from a sermon 15 or 20 years ago that was biblically correct but not politically correct, and he had to withdraw his name. And I was just like, mad at that. 
I'm just upset about that. But, but that stuff maybe is okay, you know, to get mad at. But I'm just talking about being cranky with each other. Come on. And, and, and it's serious, because you know what one of the major turnoffs of young adults to Christianity is? Cranky older adults. So the major turnoffs to them. Now, every generation's, you know, got their own thing they struggle with. And certainly, young people need to struggle with anger and materialism. And, and older people, you know, struggle with marshmallows, marshmallows, and, uh, um, and, and, and materialism. So it's all cross-generational. But let me just tell you, here's something to think about. If you're getting older and you are cranky with other people, that is just as big a deal to God as sexual impurity is for a young adult. In the same way, you wouldn't want me to say, oh, I'm not going to speak about sexual purity to young adults because they're just young. That's what they're going to do. You'd say, that's not right. In the same way, we need to be challenged about older age crankiness. First Peter chapter 3, to sum up, all of you be harmonious. This is in the same Bible that says, uh, God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. Same Bible. It says, to sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. When you act in that way, you will be blessed. I read a statistic the other day. Researchers, the science, has found that a cut, a wound will heal more slowly if you have marital discord in your marriage. Literally. And I'm sure that applies to church discord or, or work discord or family discord. That, that wounds uh, heal more slowly where there's discord. And so not only will we be a blessing, but we ourselves will be blessed. Let's stand up for the benediction. I'm going to close with Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 2. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Lord, we cry out like David. We cry out, O oh God, Fulfill your purpose in and through me. Help us as a church family together to find our purpose in Christ, in community, for the journey. And all God's family said, amen. God bless you. Have a great day.